0: Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. On the Business Mastermind this week, it's the second part of a two-part conversation with the immersion coach, Kul Mahay. We initially intended to do one episode, but you'll find that Col's energy is just so infectious. His insights are fantastic. And before we knew it, we'd, we'd been talking away for an hour. So this is the second part of a two-part conversation. And building on our conversation last week where we were talking about leadership and emotional intelligence, uh, making decisions, how you can make decisions when the pressure's really on, um, and also the importance of daily routine and looking after yourself. This uh, episode, we should sort have of delve into um, the importance of resilience and also building your own sense of certainty. You'll also love Cole's insights about social media and who you are really competing against. So, join me in the second part of the conversation with immersion coach Cole Mahay. I just want to go back to something that you said earlier on about the whole helicopter thing, and that when we rise up, we feel less emotionally attached. And I want to link it to something else in your background that I know of that we haven't yet shared with the uh, listeners about Gold Command, and you'll, I'd like to explain yeah. what that is. But the, my, my point specifically is, that's a leadership decision where the book does stop with you when you've got to make some very uh, crucial decisions in a short period of time. And it's, it, then it probably is... A, you, you've got a lot of uh, data coming at you, a lot of people... Um, I'm talking out without context yet, so I'll let you fill in the gaps in a minute, but you've got a lot of data coming at you. You've got a lot of opinions or advice coming at you. What I'm intrigued about from a leadership point of view and a decision-making point of view is how you retain that level of calm, insight, emotional detachment, so that you are best going to serve the people that are uh, are relying on you.
1: That's such a good question. Uh, And to... To sort of qualify my answer, I'll just give a a very brief understanding of the three levels that we operate in, and the military, the fire service, the police service, uh, and the ambulance service, uh, and many other organizations still operate at these three levels, and I think they're very powerful. So you you operate at bronze, uh, silver, and gold. Now, this this is not about rank. It has to be stressed. This is not about rank. This is about responsibilities. Okay. So in some situations i could still be a bronze commander okay uh, but in most situations i was a gold commander because of the breadth of operational skills and abilities and qualifications that and i have what had. kind
0: of situations would those be so, if you was so this-
1: for for a gold i was a gold commander for critical incidents for major incidents okay. i was a gold commander for firearms incidents um uh, so that covers quite a, a wide breadth of areas of For public order incidents, major public disorder incidents, I was a silver commander for chemical, biological, radioactive, nuclear incidents. I was a silver commander Uh, for uh, homicides and murders. uh, I was uh, what they call a senior investigating officer, which would sit around about silver level because it could be part of a bigger scheme of things or a bigger incident. Um, I was also a silver commander for um, mass fatality body part recovery. Uh, so real complex, uh, um, specialisms and each one for each one of those, I had to go on very, very complex and very intensive, very immersive training. So these were, if you like compartmentalized skill areas that I had, and I wouldn't do two at the same time. I would only be stuck in one. So that's the first thing I would say that don't try and do be too many things to too many people. It's better to be singularly focused on one issue at a time or one area at a time. Um, one of the greatest challenges that I had as I went up through the command levels and when I got to Goal Commander, certainly was because of all of this information that was going on, I was hearing what was going on in the gra- on the ground, I was hearing uh, where people were maneuvering to. I had set the overarching strategy of uh, what we wanted as an outcome for this incident I was responsible for making sure that they had sufficiency of resources to deal with that incident effectively. Uh, any strategic collaborations or conversations that I needed to have, I was having those. So really my, my, my picture was um, really getting into the helicopter as high as I possibly could and looking at the landscape as, 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 as wide as I possibly could. And sometimes I had to look at the national level For example, when we had the 2011 uh, riots around the country, I was responsible for ensuring that uh, we did not have or that we couldn't uh, manage the wide-scale public disorder that was going to go on in my county of Derbyshire. And I was given one brief, one brief by the chief constable: "We shall not have a riot in Derbyshire." Wow! So I was like, "Okay." So clear objective. around the country. So you just told me we will not have a riot in Derbyshire. How do, I, how do I overcome that? So strategically, I planned for resources to be, you know, Derbyshire is a long county. It's about 70, 80 miles from north to south. So I had to make sure that there was a sufficiency of the, the most appropriately qualified resources uh, pitted around the country, country. And then I had a tactical uh, commander, which was a silver commander. They are responsible for the deployment of those resources and then the bronze commander is responsible for the operational command of the, those resources when they get to wherever it is that they get to so that's what gold silver bronze really means now for me as a gold commander because I knew exactly what was going on uh, because I knew what was going on in the ground because I knew about all the intelligence that was coming in and I knew about uh, uh, the other impact from other areas and what what else was going on there was a real st- urging me, you know, and like this desperate urge when things didn't seem to be going as fast as I want them to, that I could very easily become frustrated and want to take over the the silver commander's role and say to them, look, I want you to deploy this resource over there. I want them to be doing this. I want that. But if I were to break that chain of command, it would confuse the overarching situation. And so with that, we'd have a lack of clarity and because of the lack of, lack of clarity would be less operationally effective. This applies to business as well. Okay. How many times have we heard of uh, uh, CEOs or people at CEO level? You know, at the very strategic level, things are, um, uh, things are getting quite urgent in the business because of one task or one issue or another, and Rather than having the trust and faith in their, in their staff, in their other managers and leaders with, uh, underneath them to manage that situation, while ever they just create that strategy and say, this is the, this is the outcome that we, de- we, we desire from this situation. Uh, what resources do you need? How can I possibly help? How can I make your life easier? And then trust you to make the tactical decisions that we need to make to, to move this situation forward. Rather than do that, they succumb to this desire, this urge within them to take control. And actually and somewhere as a
0: badge it, of honor, I'm a control freak in actual fact, you know, yeah, control is a lack of and, trust. And you, know, and you mentioned so trust then.
1: All control freaks would have a greater tendency to do that. And it actually takes a more, it takes greater strength to stand back sure. than to get involved. Yeah. So the easiest thing for me to have done was to start storming into the control room, sitting where the silver commander was, confusing the chains of command, uh, and make, make counter decisions to what he or she was making and have an overarching, uh, overall confusing picture uh, and less effectiveness on the ground. So I think this is a lesson that uh, we can all take away from the military services and the uniform services about having this very clear cut gold, silver and bronze uh, mentality when it comes to uh, running, your not just your day-to-day operations, but more specifically, the, the more urgent operations that come, come by. For a company, it could be that you've suddenly had uh, something go wrong on your supply chain, and everything is up in the air, and it needs resolving. You are not going to necessarily resolve it effectively by the CEO coming down and, and start making the phone calls. This is where we need to have the trust and faith of our people but set a clear agenda for them as to what needs to be achieved uh, uh, overall. And then you can sit back afterwards and say, okay, let's let's debrief this and let's see what we can learn from this. And, uh, you know, in emotional intelligence, we talk about six different styles of leadership. And I always say that all six styles of leadership have a purpose at some point in in life. Uh, But the the thing is, if you get stuck in one, one style of leadership, then you're not going to be exercising the other potential leadership styles that are open to you. These are tools in your toolbox. The only one leadership style that we need to demonstrate all the time is what we call visionary leadership, and that is where you set the long-term goal. You trust the people to get on with it, and you support them along the journey. Uh, the uh, The other far extreme of that is the coercive leadership style or the commanding leadership style, where you rely upon your status or your rank to tell people what to do. Essentially, you are ordering them. Um, and now, that coercive leadership style is still relevant sometimes. And I was training a group of police leaders the other day, and I was asking them, I said, you know, how, how often, who in this room actually pra- practices coercive leadership styles? And some of them saw coercive as being a bad thing, so a lot of them didn't put their hands up. I said, no, actually, if you accept that it's a, it's a good leadership style to have, a leadership quality to have, who would say that they actually practice it? And I put my own hand up because there are still moments, even in this Absolutely. business now, Absolutely. where things need to be done and you have to give the orders, right? You do that. You do that. You do that. That's coercive. You've got no room for discussion, no room for argument. Things need to be done. So that's a coercive leadership style. But what percentage of time do you need, need to be a coercive leader in any organization? Absolutely. And I would argue it's like in the three or 4% at the most, right. because how often do we have to deal with those levels of challenges? They are very, very rare and few and far between. So if we stay towards a transformational leader with a leadership style that is maybe the visionary or the democratic leadership style or the, or the affiliative leadership style, which is all about people putting people first or the, or the coaching leadership style, which is getting people to, to come up with the own, their own answers by digging deep down deeper, I actually think that we need to be at that side of the spectrum 80, 90% of the time, then we do need to be the commanding and controlling leadership staff. So
0: so just going back to my question about how you, uh, you managed to stay uh, emotionally, um, I don't know if detached is the right word, but clear of thought, clear of assimilating all of the data and the multiple different sort of feeds of personal um, opinion as well as uh, factual data. It was the fact that you had a structure of a, com- a command structure yeah. that... A, you wanted to, but you've been trained to maintain that gave you the head space in order to be able to stay above the noise and clearly evaluate it, the, the data.
1: Absolutely. And, and again, it, you know, I'm going to bore people about emotional intelligence, but it comes back down to emotional intelligence. So when we have an urge to get involved, what we're doing, we're operating with the limbic system of our brain, yeah, which is the emotional. Yeah. So we get this emotional desire to get involved. Uh, whereas the prefrontal cortex is all about making the logical decisions. So what we have to do within the limbic system, we have the amygdala, which are two almond-shaped pieces. And they make those instantaneous reactions as to, do we feed this into the limbic system or do we feed it into the prefrontal cortex? Uh, and sometimes what we have to do to slow that to those milliseconds down, just to slow them down to uh, make a much more informed choice as to where, where this stimuli is going to go, is by counting to 10 maybe or asking yourself some strategic questions. So I used to have some strategic questions in my mind that were designed to activate the prefrontal cortex. Right. So I would say to myself, so okay, what is my position in this incident? What, what, What command position am I holding? Am I holding a tactical or a strategic? Am I gold or silver? And that's the first question I would ask. So I'm gold. Okay, so what is expected of a gold? So just two or three questions like that And by asking yourself logic questions, you're actively activating the logical part of your brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. The other thing that you can do, you know, we very often say that um, when something upsets you, it's very easy for us to respond emotionally. And that's, you know, in the uh, uh, Professor Stephen Peters book, uh, The Chimp Paradox, it's all about that. It's all about emotional intelligence. He doesn't call it emotional intelligence, but that's exactly what he's describing. So the limbic system will operate very, very quick. It's eight times more powerful than the prefrontal cortex. So we need to have strategies in our mindset to slow it down so that we can actually activate the prefrontal cortex and take information up there. So the simple task of, you know, very often people say you can count, count to 10 before you say anything or count to 10 before you respond. What we're doing there, not only are we giving ourselves time to breathe, but the act of counting is a logical act. So by saying one, two, three, four, five, and counting up to 10, we're activating the prefrontal cortex. Right. And then if you then follow that up with some tactical some, some, some strategic questions of yourself that are designed to further activate it, then you can ask yourself some questions that would be uh, lead to a much more informed response.: Fantastic.
0: love it. Now there's some questions. I uh, so two areas that I'm, as I mentioned before, we sort of press record that I'm personally fascinated with at the moment. One is about personal and business resilience. The other one's about certainty. So um, before we get, to, I've got four key questions I want to just ask you. So first one, what do you do to maintain that passion, that fire in your belly?
1: I remind myself every single day, every single day, as to my mission, my passion, my purpose. Uh, you know, it's the last thing I think about when I go home, when I go to bed, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up. And, uh, you know, I have, a. am on a mission, I want to, I'm on a mission to transform the world through the way people think. Uh, I think the greatest ripple effect I can create by doing that is to work with organizations, uh, or, or to hold large events that ripple out uh, in, in the, into the masses. Uh, so I remind myself of that every single day. You see, That's born of the experiences I've had in the police service. I have seen more death than I care to mention. I, I literally could not count the amount of dead bodies. I've seen people at their greatest levels of pain. I've seen people responding to that pain in wholly different ways, from anger and bitterness and vengefulness to those people who just amaze me by their resilience and their desire to change the world. So, from those people, I've learned the greatest lessons. You know, I've always wondered, how is it that these people who've had so much pain, how is it that they've managed to dig down deep inside them and find some beautiful thing inside of them that then goes out to change the world? So that's the first thing I do that keeps me fired up and keeps me passionate. The other thing I do is ask myself uh, um, uh, about the outcome that I want from the day or from the month or from the week. Uh, And I I break down my big goals and chunk them right down to small goals so they seem much more achievable. But I have to make sure that those small goals actually align with the big goal. Um, I have seven Cs that I very often talk to people about, and uh, you know I talk about being committed, being committed to your goal, having absolute clarity around your goal being constant in the action that you take, being consistent with the action that you take, being concerted, working with other people where absolutely necessary because the future is all about relationships. There's an old saying, isn't there, that uh, you can go fast alone, but you can go far with other people. Uh, It's about being congruent with your values. And in order to be congruent with your values, that's when you're going to feel the best of the best. You'll feel more alive. You'll feel more at peace. You'll feel more contented when you are, you know, uh, working with your values. But in order to do that, we need to know what our values are. You know, I very often go into organizations and I'll take people through a values exercise to find out what their personal values are. Uh, But the vast majority of them will just ripple out their, uh, you know, talk about their organizational values Uh, and, you know, and I always say, well, these are borrowed values. Yes. And there is no harm in you as an individual having your own values. In fact, it's absolutely necessary. And then finally, you know, it's about change for me. If, if you are not open, embracing, openly embracing change in your life right now, and you're resistant to change, then your world is going to be a very dark and dismal world because change is the one constant in life right now. And it's going to become even more so. So, hey, we need to get comfortable with change. We really need to. you know. We've talked about the VUCA world. I think it's going to become a super VUCA world. So we need to be very, very open towards change. And actually, we need to be leading change. If we really want to be successful, we need to be constantly looking for the gaps. What is going on? What's happening in my market space? And how is the world operating? How differently are people thinking? What language are people using? What, what are they reliant on to have that communication? What's the best form of communication? All of these kind of things. And I'm constantly thinking about that uh, myself. I found myself reflecting on this only this morning. I was looking at Facebook and thinking, do you know what? Is Facebook now becoming dated? Is there an alternative? Is there a different way of communicating? Is there a more authentic way of communicating? Could the different way actually be word of mouth again? I don't know. Uh, but I do question. know this, that the future of the world is building relationships. That is the future of the world. And the future of leadership is about becoming much more, con- uh, having a greater level of human connectivity. So I ask myself these deep and philosophical questions all the time. And uh, you know, my seven C's keep me pretty much focused on everything. My purpose uh, is clear in my mind and my mission is uh, very powerful in my life as well.
0: So that links to the next thing is about how, what are the things you do to bounce back from setbacks and bolster your own re- resilience?
1: Uh, that's an interesting question because, you know, anybody who tells me that they've never had a, a challenge or a problem in their life, I would, I would think that they're hugely mistaken or they're, or they're not completely telling the truth. Uh, because here's the thing, you know, we've all had challenges. I have had major challenges in my personal life over the years. You can't get to an age of 52 without seeing that. I've seen huge and incredible challenges in other people's lives. Those have affected me. Um, I've, I've had personal challenges in business. And, you know, I've only been running my business for four years now. Before that, I had zero idea on running businesses. I'd led a life of service, you know, for 32 years. All of my adult life, I was in service to the public and picking up my my check and, you know, my wage wage slip every single month. And all I needed to think about was how can I be a better, how can I contribute even better to the public? That's all I used to think about. How can I deliver a better service? Now I have to think in a wholly different way. I have to add to that one question and, and start asking myself, how can I make my business more productive? How can I reach out to more people? How can I make more sales? How can I do this? How can I do this? So I find myself asking more and more questions. And the only thing I would say um, around challenges and failures and all of these, these things is that every single time I have undergone a challenge, every single time that uh, I've faced some failure in my life, and some of, most of the time it's of my own making, to be honest, but every ten, single time I've done that, um, I now am at a point in my life where I can sit down and ask myself, okay that has happened. I can't undo that now. And uh, I will wear the consequences. I'll bear the consequences. Uh, But how can I prevent this from happening again? How can I grow from this? What can I learn? What would I do differently if I were to think about the same thing again? What would I do differently? And, you know, my spirituality is very important. And, you know, spirituality is, is what it is to every single person. I'm not necessarily religious, but I do believe in a a greater power than, than me. And, uh, you know, if we think about it in quantum physics level and the universe just being energy and that we're just a, a replication of that energy, it's not dissimilar to the religious text that we we read. So I think I like to think of it in a more encompassing idea around, you know, quantum physics. And I find that if I can sit still and ask myself the powerful questions, the answers are also there as well, as they very often are in my clients. You know, we have these incredible things called brains. We have these supremely powerful things that we call minds. And wherever the uh, problem lies, there within also lies your solution. But sometimes we focus on the problem so much, we can become emotionally attached to it. Uh, We become associated with it, as we talk about in NLP. And really, the art is about disassociating yourself from the actual event it's about reducing the amount of emotion that you have attached to it so that you can allow your prefrontal cortex again to start thinking clearly and consciously about next steps forward and that really helps me fantastic
0: i love that sit still and ask myself the powerful questions and the powerful answers are there i love that um what do you think holds people back in business and and life
1: uh i think You know, within emotional intelligence, we talk about this one thing called personal power. I think that is like the biggest thing that holds anyone back. And it is one of the areas that I constantly work on for myself. Of all of these 24 competencies, that is the one competency that I still sometimes have difficulty in. And personal power really is about your level of self-confidence, your belief in yourself, You know, we all have this, uh, we all have to struggle with things like imposter syndrome. We all have these limiting beliefs that we hold deep within our psyche, probably as a result of some social conditioning from the past. We think that we're not good enough. We think we're not intelligent enough, or we're not young enough, or we're not this, or we don't have the money, uh, or that other people uh, look at us and laugh at us, secretly laughing at us, or whatever they might be, or whatever the thoughts might be. And there are five fears, supreme fears, that all other fears sit under. There's a guy, and I forget his name. He did a, a piece of work called a hierarchy. He created this hierarchy, and uh, I'm going to try and remember these. But he said that there are five supreme fears, and these are um, a fear of extinction, i.e. fear of death, a fear of um, loss of limb, um and I, he called it something else but it equates to a loss of limb so this is the fear that would uh, that would translate to you saying to yourself i'm i'm not going to go on that uh, scary pirate ship uh, because something might happen uh, i'm scared of that bug because it if it bites me something might happen i am scared of dogs i'm scared of cats i'm scared of whatever it might be so that comes from this fear of uh, loss of like uh, loss of limb and then there is a, a fear of um Loss of control. Uh, so that's where things like claustrophobia will kick in, but it also equates to when somebody is ordering you to do something and you feel that you have no discretion or judgment of your own to practice, that is a fear of uh, loss of control. Right. Um, and there's one other, but the, the one I really want to talk about, I'm, I'm missing one of them, but the one I want to talk about is the fear of the ego death. So the fear of the ego death is all about the I. So, you know, I I teach public speaking and it's the first fear I challenge there and then. And I say, look, you know, when you do public speaking, forget the fact that it's you standing on that stage. It is never about you. It's always about the message that you deliver. It's about the impact that you're having on the audience. So if you're saying to yourself right now, am I dressed for the part? Do I look good? Do I look look like the, the proficient speaker? Do they think that I'm good? If you're asking yourself those kind of questions, you're doing exactly the wrong thing for yourself. You don't need to be a public speaker. You need to be doing something else. Right. Because a true public speaker uh, is asking themselves a the question, am I giving enough value to the audience? Am I offering enough? And Are they learning something? Are they going to be able to take a nugget away home with them right now and do something to transform their lives just by that one millimeter? Those are wholly different kind of questions. So the fear of the ego death, I think, is one of the things that holds people back so much. Because they worry about what other people are going to think, they worry about how they're going to come across, they worry about how they look. Um, they also have this lack of self-confidence, which you know can be translated into so many different areas. So, to overcome the whole personal power thing, um, you know there are so many things that we can do. Uh, we could, um, we could, we could actually go out there and we could talk to people and say. Um, Check in with our feelings, first and foremost. How, how, do, how do certain thoughts make me feel? And if they make me feel like this, what could I do to change that thought that would make me feel differently? That's the first thing. It's most, I, I say the easiest of the things to do, but it's actually quite difficult to get it into a routine. The second thing is to make sure that you're surrounded by the right people. If you are thinking these things and they are a result, result of your social conditioning and people are still around you right now saying, you know what? You're right. It's not going very well. You know what? You're right. I don't think you've got what it takes. If you're surrounding yourself with those kind of people, guess how you're going to think you're going to be convincing yourself all the time. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm not good at this. So um, I have this one quote that I live my life by, by the great Jim Rohn. And he once said um, that you become the average of the five people whose company you keep most. So for me, I am constantly auditing my circle. I'm looking to see who is in my circle that I, that I connect with more regularly than anybody else that I know. Are they the right people? Cute. Are they the people that support me? Are they Pretty. the people that have the crazy ideas? Are they the people that believe in me? You know, who are they? And that, for me, is very, very important. So there's a whole few number of techniques there, and I think, but I think it's all about personal power. Uh, at the end of the day, your level of self-belief, uh, in your own abilities, this whole thing around imposter syndrome, the environment that you keep, and the language that goes on inside your head. I think that's the biggest challenge.
0: So that links me nicely to the last, the, next, the last question then. How important is it for you to have a sense of certainty in your business? And how, and how do you bolster that sense of certainty?
1: Um, I think we need to have a sense of certainty on, uh, in terms of our mission, because if you don't have a sense of uh, certainty in your mission, then how How driven are you going to be towards creating that mission or making that mission come alive? So I think there has to be absolute certainty in your mission. I think the other certainty that we need to have if we're in business is faith in what we do. Mm -hmm. Faith in, if we're creating widgets, that these widgets are the best widgets in the world. If we're delivering a service that I am delivering the best service that I could possibly deliver and it's adding real value to other people. The problem is, in this very noisy world in which we exist, full of social media, uh, and I think social media is just so, so much full of smoke and mirrors, and every business will say, you need to compete, you need to com- compete, you need to compete. And we say that because social conditioning says we need to comp- compete. From the moment that we're, bo- we're born, if you think about everything that we do, it's a competitive process. You go to school, it's a competitive process. You go to work, it's a competitive process. You go for promotion, competitive process. You get into business, it's a competitive process. Uh, and for so long, I believed in this. Uh, but I found that what I was doing, I was looking in order to compete. I was looking engaging myself against other coaches and other speakers and other people who delivered you know, leadership development or public speaking or, or whatever it might be. And I was gauging myself against these people based upon what I was seeing on social media. So then, these feelings would come up, and these feelings would be, oh, you know, there'd be feelings of, um, well, my personal power would go down. I'd, I'd, would lack more self-belief in myself. I'd become less confident, and as a consequence of that, I'd probably do less to push myself forward. And then I suddenly realised one day that this is just nonsense. I am not living in a competitive world. The only person I really need to compete with is the person that I was yesterday. Yeah. That, you know, if I speak to enough clients. I don't know a single client that I've ever had that's not said my services are not good, not met a single one yet. So if all my clients have always give me excellent testimonials, you know, and they're they're all over LinkedIn and on my Google page and on, on, you know, on my website, I've got all these testimonials. If I've got all of these testimonials saying that it's offered real value to someone, then maybe I need to start believing in my own services and not worry about what Joe blogs down the street is doing that coach over there, let him Or her walk their path, and you walk your own path. And also, you know, I understood to myself, understood within myself that uh, ninety percent of what we see on social media is is just scratching the surface. It's just, it is just a facade that people are creating to give themselves this image that hopefully other people buy into to increase the sales. When I've had private conversations with a lot of coaches, they tell me how they're broken and they're struggling and. You know, business is not coming in and so forth and so on. And yet the very same coach, a couple of days later, um, will put on Facebook or LinkedIn, hey guys, uh, just to let you know, I've still got a couple of slots open for my, um, my, my discovery calls for next month. But actually, my diary is so full. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, a couple of days ago, you told me that you had zero coming in. So now I see social media for what it is. It is a tool for me to communicate with the world. That is what it is. It is a tool for me to connect with the tiny percentage of people who I respect and I only look for their posts and the rest I flick past. I really do. I hardly connect with any other coaches. I hardly connect with any other public speakers. I am on my own path my own mission. And that's the only thing that I have in my sphere of control or sphere of influence. But You know, there's this wonderful diagram I once saw of two circles, one circle, then an inner circle. And the outer circle is this circle of concern, and the inner circle is this circle of influence. And yet so many people are living in the circle of concern. So they're worrying about things that they've got zero control over. And you think, well, what's the point of that? Whereas if they put all their energies into their circle of influence, the things that they do have some level of influence over, what they don't realize is they could grow that circle. So they could influence even more and they could maybe start influencing those areas that they previously had no influence in before. So how does that equate to me as an example? So the way I see it is if I put more and more energy into my annual event, ignite your inner potential, which is growing at 50% every single year, uh, if I put my effort into the leadership coaching and the leadership development training that I do with organizations, if I put more energy into the public speaking courses that I deliver, which are so different from anybody else's, if I continue to do, to do that, eventually people are going to start saying, hey, you know that Kulma hey Yeah, he's really good. I need to ask him how to develop my business. And now, Gavin, I've got coaches coming to me to say, how do I develop my coaching business? Fantastic. I never thought that was ever going to happen four years ago.
0: Fantastic. So
1: now people are coming to me and I'm not chasing these people. they're, they're So, to so me. How,
0: how do people find out more about you, Cole, and the, the services that you offer?
1: So, uh, you can find out about my services on my website, which is www.cullmahay.com. I'm really boring. On LinkedIn, I'm Cole On Facebook, I'm Cole And I have a very private group on Facebook called Ignite Your Inner Potential which is a, a fallout from my annual event uh, called Ignite In Potential, which is every January, by the way, guys. Uh, we are growing at 50% every single year. We launched it two years ago with 70 people in the room. A year ago, we had 200 people in the room. This year, we had 300 people in the room. Next year, we're going to have 450 people in the room. And I, my, my goal with this, Gavin, is to make this the biggest personal development event in the U.K., And, you know, and I did this because I got fed up of the fact that we have to have uh, outside people coming into the UK to inspire us and motivate us us to take action. And yet we've got enough knowledge here, we've got enough skill sets here to be able to do that for ourselves. So ultimately, that is where I wanted to, I want to create this incredible ripple effect across the UK and, and, and get away from our stiff upper lip kind of thinking to start yeah. thinking much more in an American yeah. style, thinking that we have more potential within us and we just need to dig deep. Yeah.
0: Cool. I have hung off every syllable. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and actually we've got enough of two podcasts. So there'll be a part one and a part two, such as this <laughs> conversation uh, sort of deepened and, and going to different tangents. Um, you are, you live and breathe it. Your energy is, is just comes through yeah, the screen so and right. across, across through the headphones. So, so powerfully. I can absolutely see and feel why your your Ignite Your Potential event is growing at the rate it's growing. Uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your time today and your inputs and sharing your insights and your wisdom with everybody.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm hugely honoured to be here. So thank you so much.
0: This episode of the Business Mastermind is brought to you by the Evolve Mastermind. The Evolve Mastermind is a business mastermind for business owners of businesses turning over between 500,000 and 5 million per annum. Their monthly events provide you with solutions, strategies, inspiration, and insights to help you scale and grow your business. Each month, there's a hand speaker to provide you with relevant strategies, plus time to mastermind with other business owners on issues that are facing you and your business. With groups in Chelmsford in Essex and Manchester in the Northwest, and more locations planned go to www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. That's www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms. Enjoy more success
1: and create more impact.